0: Hello, and welcome to the Reformed Millennials podcast. This show is dedicated to identifying macro waves or trends that millennials can jump on to better invest their time and money. Our goal is to help improve your life and business by being early and right on those trends. Learn more and stay up to date by visiting our website at reformedmillennials.com or join the discussion in our Facebook group, also named Reformed Millennials. All right. Welcome, podcast. listeners, to another episode of Reform Millennials. In today's episode, we have a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Keenan Pascal. The reason why I wanted to bring him on today was because, as many probably have recognized, we've kind of seen a resurgence of cannabis and its interest in, in public markets and then also privately. It's regained some resurgency with the most recent 2020 US election. So, I figured I may as well bring on the one person I know knows more about the space than anybody. So, well, at least anyone that I know. So I wanna kind of start out today, Keenan, with getting a better understanding of your background, your the history of your business that you've started, and then also what got you into the space.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, thanks thanks for having me. Quick background on myself. I started in finance, so I worked in the banks, worked in the investment space at uh, ATB and Scotiabank. For a couple of years and then i went into an mba at ubc so i did my undergrad here my mba at vancouver and i met up with a chemical engineer out in bc in 2014 I was really full of john the idea of us are uh, just the cannabis space in general and really looking forward to beverages so what we did is we ended up partnering up when we, when we graduated and we looked to do a like a beverage in the market for uh cannabis in the recreational space but we quickly realized there was a a big barrier to entry in terms of the regulatory standpoint. So there wasn't any contract manufacturing, like you couldn't bring a brand to market without building a facility. So we pivoted the company into not just focusing on a beverage, but a broader contract manufacturing in the cannabis space. So that's essentially what Token does. So we do contract manufacturing for right now it's phase one is liquid filling. So topicals, beverage additives, vape pens, Boobs, mct oils things like that and then as we expand we'll uh we'll specialize into extraction and then packaging
0: so this is kind of going too far ahead of where i wanted to go but in in regards to uh the items that you guys are actually producing the you said the topicals and and those sorts of things that to me is where a lot of the benefit of the space is, really is going to be in terms of making money i've talked about this with a lot of people uh, that have always been very interested in investing in the public space, uh, buying Aurora and buying AFRI, and buying Canopy, for instance. And my, the biggest rejection I've always had in, into investing there, especially earlier on, 2018, was that the margins really stunk because it was very similar to grocery in that if you weren't scaled to infinity, you didn't really do enough business to justify the risk. So this, to me, what what's occurred... And for a little bit of context, and I know you already know this, Keenan, but the cannabis space has kind of gone through this long, drawn-out bear market, where from its peak in January-ish 2018 to August 2020, the market's capitalization or market cap on publicly went down 92%, which is by any measure insanely bad. <laughs> and um, I think what that has allowed for is that the early movers that – found a ton of investment, built out a lot of infrastructure, very similar to yourself, and then found their way and kept their nose to the grindstone and, and focused on the areas that were really going to at least benefit them in what I think is a- currently occurring, which is like this Cannabis 2.0. In the same way that like you had all these crazy startups in 1996 to 1999 in the United States where you had like Pets.com and all these ridiculous things that didn't actually exist and they were fake. Everything that was real kind of made its way through and then we went through this internet 2.0 well i think that that's kind of what's happening now would you kind of like mirror that sentiment or
1: oh absolutely yeah the the industry right at the beginning was very hot and heavy on there was really a big divide either you were a grower that was vertically integrated so you were doing everything from top to bottom and you were going to grow the best cannabis and have the best 2.0 products and you're doing the whole shebang or you were a retailer and you were going to be the biggest retailer in canada and that's was where all the money for investment was flowing. We were in the middle of saying like, we're not doing any growing. We actually owned seven dispensaries and we sold them off on the peak for a ridiculous amount of cash for a piece of paper. Like it was that we, that was one of the luckiest business uh, or maybe not luck, but uh, kind of foresight we, uh, we had in the early cannabis space was to find the land, grab a retail and sell the licenses off. Cause we were selling pieces of paper for like 500,000.
0: You've told me this story before, and I think you should tell it again, because it is fascinating to me because I don't think it's luck so much as it was uh,
1: recognizing an opportunity. So that story was uh, we owned a, a nightclub or like my business partner owned a nightclub on the corner of downtown Edmonton and it was on a busy street. And as soon as he put the license there, we were getting offers for this, just the license. Like, keep in mind, this is not a built out cannabis facility. This is a, this is a nightclub that has a license to be eventually a dispensary. And we we're getting offers from like the big guys, like Aurora, Canopy, for like 1.2 to like 1.5 million dollars for this license. We ended up bundling them all. That license went through a different path because of the bar and more complications. A long story on that one. But we saw the opportunity to grab retail license because of the variances, because you couldn't put dispensaries next to each other. So we went to small towns instead of fighting in the big Edmonton, Calgary, uh, like rings. So we went to bunch of small towns like Cold Lake, Vermillion, Grand Cash, Redwater, like places I've never even been to in my life. <laughs> and we, uh, we just called landlords, got dispensaries, and then we ended up grabbing seven in total, bundling them up, and we sold them to a group in Toronto for 3.4 million bucks. And that's really what sparked our ability to buy our building, start the next phase of our our token natural journey.
0: Man, it's... It's kind of eerily similar to the, uh, the the cereal box situation with Airbnb, where they yeah. sold Obama Cheerios. Anyways, it was just like this one thing that is a genius idea, made you a ton of money, and it gives you this opportunity to take take on a longer term goal uh, in in the same space. So, I I always love hearing you si- tell it. So it's 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 yeah. super fascinating. <laughs> I don't think it's luck. Like I mean, obviously yeah, no. there's luck baked into everything, but yeah. generally speaking, I think it was just very smart. Yeah, so. It. Congratulations. So let, let's make a little bit of a shift to the most recent election in the United States. So I, I obviously pay a lot of attention to that. But what was really fascinating to me was kind of watching the price of the public stuff go up as other as specific down-ballot states started to pass uh, marijuana legislation. So for context, New Jersey, Arizona, Montana, South Dakota, Mississippi all swung to to legalizing marijuana. In, I think, coming in April, the state of New York is likely to pass legalized marijuana. There, you're kind of swinging this um, $300 billion total addressable market in the United States. And it's probably bigger than that if you start to consider um, the, the topicals that you've, you've mentioned. That's going to go from a black market to a taxable region and a legitimate one, too. And so, as that's occurred, it's obviously brought in new dollars, or at least some excitement to the space. Where do you kind of see that coming, and um, how do you see Canada benefiting from it, or if at all?
1: Yeah, know. So there's definitely overlap and benefit in the uh, in the Canadian market, specifically in the, in the investment side. I think it's the ability for some sort of the reason that you saw a lot of growth on the uh, like on the larger stocks, like the, uh, mm-hmm. the guys like Aurora Canopy it's because people are now looking at, okay, these guys can now enter the US market and their market and said like Canada's 30 million people, California's, you know, 30 million people. And we're seeing these new opportunities. So investors are assuming that, Hey, these guys are already established. They have their workflows. They understand the market. They understand the product. They're going to be easily able to transition once there's an open, so an open market for the federal, uh, like path to us legalization. And then on also it's the investment side of as soon as we can start moving money over the border, that's going to be massive for this Canadian companies. Because right now you can, it's really hard to you know, even the big five banks here that operate in the States that can't do a lot in the cannabis space because of that, those restrictions of it are federally illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so as the industry starts to turn over, that's where everyone's getting excited in the cannabis space. And then finally, the brands that are going to go back and forth. So people are looking at what are the established Canadian brands regulatory wise, can they transfer the states and vice versa. Now the US that has larger populations in certain areas are saying, okay, I want to actually take this brand and try it in the Canadian market and see how it works. And then I'm going to bring it back. So that's where you're seeing a lot of excitement between the border right now.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I guess everyone's kind of just jockeying for product market fit to see what actually people are willing to buy and consume and use and yeah. what's going to work. I think that that's likely to be what plays out. Um, I I mean, now I need to pick your brain to to, to figure out what like people actually use and want to use because I don't have a goddamn clue. So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I found like for myself as I'm watching this, you have this this unbelievable mispricing because if you look at it just from a pure growth perspective the marijuana industry is actually in like the top quartile of fastest growing industries and then from a valuation perspective it's actually in the bottom third so it's incredibly like there's an incredible opportunity there and then uh, additionally you're starting to see companies like blackrock and wellington actually move into the space and start taking meaningful positions in it and when blackrock gets into anything we're talking about like $6 trillion in assets. Um, there's likely to see big price swings. And the reality is that the stigma is gone. And what I also thought was fascinating, and this is kind of getting a little bit off topic, but the fastest growing um, demographic is 55 to 65-year-olds.
1: Yeah, I absolutely echo that. <laughs> That's shocked me.
0: But, I, but now that I think about it, they're the only ones I know that are actively smoking pot all the time. Cause like they don't do anything anyway. So like that's perfect. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Which it makes all the sense in the world. And I just think it's, it's, it's fantastic. So with the changes in the United States, um, how do you see changes in Canada? So like for your
1: guys's, your guys's
0: business, where do you think the biggest opportunity is for you guys?
1: So for us, it's uh it's kind of disrupting the market and bringing new brands to the, to the market. So essentially where we're positioned is if you had a, you know, I want to create my own topical, for example, I don't want to go through the regulatory headache of Health Canada, building a facility, getting license. Like we're still waiting for our final, uh, final license. And it's been our third month of waiting for the actual license to bring in the cannabis, all the infrastructure is built out, all the equipment's ready. We're just waiting to turn on the lights. And so for you as a new brand or a new company that's, Hey, I'm kind of a mom and pop shop, or I'm a, I have a really cool brand outside of cannabis and I want to do a topical version of it. I don't want to build all this infrastructure. I'm going to use token or a similar model to bring my product to market because there's a lot of gatekeeping still. So that's kind of the opportunity right now as you're seeing these white labeling, like Valens is a big player in the market. They've moved a lot of their you know, business from extraction because it's becoming commoditized in the sense that like the price of flour is going down, so the price of dislit. So dislit is like, you know, the oil that you would make uh, topical with. That when we first started pricing things out was you know, twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars a kilo, mm. but sitting at like ten to fifteen, just because there's so much biomass in the market because there was a big oversupply. Um, so you're seeing these opportunities where people are like, I actually just want a white label, and so that's a big, big shift. And probably the next more important one is going to be <laughs> kind of the deregulation of CBD. So we're not exactly sure when that happens. But if you look at the States, CBD is not considered the same as THC. And here in Canada, it is considered the same in terms of uh, you have to buy it through the recreational dispensaries. CBD sounds like a natural health product. You're going to see a massive boom. In, right. hey, we're going to derive it from hemp. We're going to derive it from cannabis. But we're not just going to buy it in dispensaries. You can go and buy your topicals at a GNC, for example. So those okay. are kind of the two
0: so if I was a uh, fitness influencer and I wanted to build out a uh, protein powder or a mix or something that was like an energy drink or a morning drink, and I had I had a huge audience, would you guys kind of be our my next step if I wanted to build out a uh, topical product? Like would I come to you and be like, this is my brand I'm trying to build, help me do it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's the whole business model that we created was not to like we're not you're not going to see a bunch of token products out on the shelves. You're going to see. Made by token in the bottom, you see like Coca Cola on, on a spike can kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see a bunch of influencers. Or that's the their goal is to see a new 2.0, 2.0, like 3.0 renaissance of products coming into the market that are a little mm-hmm. bit more tailored. The industry really isn't evolving in terms of maturity. So at the beginning, what was happening. If you're going to a store, people are literally looking at, okay, what's the highest THC I can get for the lowest price, and that product <laughs> was flying off the shelf, and that's okay. everything people were buying. Now people are looking at, oh, actually, I want this experience. I want this for, you know, I want to these terpenes, et cetera, et cetera. And the market's really starting to be like liquor, and mm-hmm. you have your favorites. And you're gonna have different uses.
0: So if I wanted a caffeinated, um, a caffeinated topical i i'm I'm just making this up here yeah and i wanted to create six packs that i sold to my audience um what do you think i could i could build out a six pack or a 12 pack of a drink that's 330 mils like if i were to come to you and be like i want to build a 330 milliliter energy drink with a cbd base or something along those lines and i wanted to sell it to my customers like what would be the cost of that do you think just off the top of your head
1: uh it really depends on like the How much concentration you put in? Okay. Uh, But yeah, you could do that for like a couple bucks. Okay. It really depends on. So you have to pay an exercise tax if you have THC in a product. Yeah. And you have limits. So THC can only be ten milligrams. If it's CBD, you can put in more. There's no exercise tax. So you know that's really where you have to kind of create a bill of materials and be like, okay, this this is where the sweet spot of that product is. But yeah, there's a there's lots of options. Options, and you're gonna see. Prices start to change. You're going to see premium products. You're going to see discount products. The spectrum is going to be massive as, over the next three four years.
0: So for you, you you're servicing these people. So you've decided we can do this scale up for these people that are trying to create these products. If you were to not look at your own your own supply chain and your own actual business, and you were to look at the other the other portions, where do you see the most opportunity? Like, where do you think, where do you want to see more people, um, spending time and in innovating and,
1: and creating? Oh, that's a great question. First and foremost is going to be brands. So unique brands that people are going to get behind. Like what's the next like, athlete endorsed thing? Like you can't endorse in cannabis, but like that concept, like where are mm-hmm. the influencers are going to start spending their time and effort? That's where you're going to see your products really drive. And then innovation. So product innovation, of, like drink additives or a cool topical hearing about a lot of people looking at like feminine products and, and like is that mm-hmm. gonna catch on like that doesn't exist on the shelf yet are you gonna get bath salts and there's bath bombs there's a ton of products that are gonna start showing up in the market and that's where the next like wave is like growing flour is it's an art there's amazing growers in the industry but eventually it's gonna be okay there's the premium guys that you know, your high-end wine but then there's your uh, you know your everyday Everyone else is just a commodity kind of thing. Like what's mm-hmm. the lowest you can pay for an outdoor pound. And that's going to be kind of the, uh, the market starting to shift and separate. Man, I want Lush to do this so bad because they'd be perfect. Oh, and I guarantee you're going to see that. You're going to see those big brands that'll be like, okay, now it's socially acceptable to have CBD or cannabis products and Lush... Maybe when CBD gets deregulated, we'll have CBD products in their stores. On the flip right. side, if they want to be proactive and get into cannabis space early. They'll be like, "Okay, we'll we'll approach somebody like Token. We'll manufacture mm-hmm. this bath bomb and then we'll put it in retail shops and then dispensaries. You're going to start seeing dispensaries start to differentiate themselves a little bit. And it's not just you know a one shop buy anything. It's going to be, hey, here's a dispensary that focuses on local products. Here's one that focuses on topicals. Here's one that focuses on like health and wellness like you're going to see these shifts in the industry over the next three four years for sure
0: yeah because it, it still shocks me that we have all of these obviously all these individual I, I just i would find it um it would be concerning to me especially those that have invested so heavily in the consumer facing shops if a circle k or 7-eleven was able to distribute oh, okay. because That's- that would be that would be challenging and they'd probably all go under
1: yeah, it's gonna be you're gonna see like the government recently in Alberta took off that limit. Like you were only supposed to be able to have uh, thirty-seven stores. Actually, I'm not sure if that limit's been removed, but now you can actually have relationships between licensed producers and dispensaries. That's a rule that's been or has changed or it's coming down the pipe where you can start creating those relationships where before everything was very government regulated. So it's starting to open up, and the market's starting to open up, and you're going to see, yeah, big big companies are going to be like, oh, is there an opportunity to just come push out the little guys here?
0: So outside of like the brand side, if we go back down to kind of like the the supply, where you're the p- people actually growing the bud or whatever, the the auroras, did they when they first started out? And obviously their stock's done. Well, it's up 150 percent in the last ten trading days, but it was also down 92 percent before that are they kind of starting to figure it out? Like, yeah. Did they kind of overbuild? And obviously they probably knew what they were doing, but they've run into some challenges, but are they, are they kind of starting to figure it out and they're, they're starting to kind of um, smooth out their business a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're seeing the big guy, like I think almost a year ago, almost a little bit before COVID fired off. The industry fired like 30% of the employees across the board. Like all the big guys are just cleaning house because yeah, everybody was overbuilt. That everyone assumed they were gonna open a dispensary or grow an LP and every day they were gonna make you know a hundred thousand dollars or you're making a million dollars a month, no matter what you did. And that wasn't the reality. The market right. wasn't ready for all these brands, all these products. People didn't quite know what they were getting into. And that's where the investment in the industries had to scale back, had to cut the fat, lean out, really focus on an area, and then now everybody's rebuilding so you'll see it recover it's mm-hmm. i always remind like we were able to raise we did a series a during covid which was i thought nuts but it, it worked out We've, we closed like a three million dollar round and that just kind of reminded me like you know wealth is always around and the covid and the industry so new that now it's almost smart investment coming in where people are like hey i'm gonna buy low i'm gonna buy when this industry has recovered and kind of all the all the cowboys are out of it and it's now <laughs> the the industries or the companies that are intending to last.
0: Yeah, so I kind of want to shift a little bit to uh, Asia, Europe. I know you've spent some time with Token in Japan. Can you kind of talk about the culture there and um, perhaps where it's moving into the future, whether or not it'll be similar to what uh, our use case? Because I I, I haven't been there, um, at least not recently. And it does fascinate me a little bit to see Because that is just an incredible opportunity as well. Maybe not so much for uh, uh, Canadian companies, but maybe.
1: Yeah, no, it it absolutely is. Like what we did is we used the bitters, which are non-cannabis infused, to enter the Japanese market, with the intention of eventually following it up through a CBD product. So us talking, like even we talked to the, the ministry and the Alberta ministry over there, and what they're really looking at is, hey, eventually CBD is going to be the kind of the first thing that's allowed. So they're going to allow CBD tested out. I don't see, you know, medical and THC and recreational being a reality in Japan, like in the next couple of years, because it's very taboo. Like when we Mm -hmm. were going to Japan, we had to make sure we de-linked anything from token naturals and token bidders. I had to be completely off the map because (laughs) people didn't want them Googling us and being like, oh yeah, here's a a cannabis company trying to sneak in. but. (laughs) cbd is is popular there like okay even even in china like cbd in the spa space like that's massive interesting so
0: yeah i mean spying in general over there is a lot bigger than it is here i think it's obviously growing but and I, i i'm curious but would it make a lot of sense for producers to build the products here and then ship them there i mean they do have a constraint of real estate so I just I tend to think that it'd be tough to build out a an aurora anywhere in Japan and yeah. justify the price of square footage. So it just makes a lot of sense for them to buy our the the commodity
1: here and then go that way. Yeah, 100%. I think this is going to be an opportunity for the Canadian market to start targeting these areas that hey, they don't either have expertise in the space or they just don't have the the actual physical space to do what we do like the large lps have massive facilities and you know that would be 10 times more expensive to do in a place like japan <laughs> and over instant sea cans is not uh not the end of
0: the world no shipping via boat is cheap so i mean yeah no i i'm everybody who knows me knows i was a skeptic in 2016 to 2017 2018 everyone was giving me the hardest time ever like you just missed out on the biggest bull market have you not heard that Snoop Dogg is promoting this business? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, okay? And you watch Aurora go from like 30 cents to 16 bucks or 15 bucks and yeah. you just feel like an idiot. But now I think there's just a ton of legitimacy there. And a lot of the kinks has been have been worked out and it's easier to, to, to see the competency in, in specific businesses. And there's less fat. And not only that, the regulation policy has, it's still there which means that there's still inefficiency, which means there's still lots of opportunity. But at least there's more
1: clarity to myself. So it's so, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, there's, there's early opportunity in the chaos, and then now it's starting to level out, and you're seeing, uh, seeing people really kind of rise to the top. Yeah, so for myself, I've been looking at a lot of multi-state operators in the U.S.
0: Uh, just by nature of I have little knowledge, even in the Canadian space, but like I've been kind of trying to educate myself there's this, there's a few ETFs that are, that are kind of all encom- encompassing and you can buy them and you can kind of just get exposure to the whole space. But like, I asked you this last time I talked to you, but like, what's your favorite individual public company? This is not a recommendation to buy anything, but this is just like your personal, your personal opinion. Like, do you have a favorite?
1: Uh, well, I think last time we chatted, I said Aurora and I'm glad that was, shot me in the head for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, uh, I think, I think going more downstream, like the, uh, Astria is a cool company. Uh, Balance, like definitely those big guys. Uh, like I obviously we're heavily invested in token because that's our baby. But uh, yeah, yeah. If we, were, if we were public, we'd be kind of looking for those opportunities where you're, you're seeing a little bit more focus. I, w- I would really look at the company and be like, hey, what are they actually focusing on? They're going to be, they're just saying they're the best at everything, then just avoid them because they're, they're going to have to go through more growing pains because the industry can't support these massive, vertically integrated. I'm doing everything from beginning to end. You really got to find, okay, where's the specialty? And those people are going to make, make the box off the beginning.
0: Right. Find Kind of find like the niche that works, the product that works in a market, and then let them master it, create a business that has nice margin so that they can invest in other ones. Kind of like in the same way that Amazon has been able to do that with AWS and like, whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's a pretty simple business model, I guess, but um, I'm, it's good to hear from you. Uh, last question. What's your take? my friends all love afria what's your take on afria like i don't know anything about it but it had this interesting relationship with shoppers drug Mart, yeah. and like that got them a lot of um, uh, news headlines and media what's your take on them
1: no they're, they're a solid company they got a great management team now and uh, i think they're growing for sure i'd always caution like the shoppers drug Mart uh hype like i if you look like everybody's done a deal with shoppers and put it on the wire like <laughs> like a shoppers is just like a big player that signs a lot like you'll see those all over the place the shoppers deals in particular because that's Mm -hmm. shoppers is really the the company that was first to be yeah we're going to sell cannabis in our stores in terms of the uh the pharmacy side so take those ones with a grain of salt but yeah no overall it's a it's a solid company i i would you know continue to watch them and see where they go right on okay so
0: What I think is most important, if if someone's listening to this, I think a lot of people that will be will be also interested in starting their own product. And so if uh, somebody wants to come and talk to you, wants to talk to Token, um, what do they need to have put together before you guys can kind of work with them? And two, give people like your socials or your contact or where they can kind of come out to reach you guys so that if they are interested, they can come
1: prepared and then also um, reach out and get this going. Yeah, for sure. Like the, uh, the website, token naturals.com and the Instagram, token naturals, Twitter, all, all those handles. Uh, my emails is keen at token Uh, yeah, we've got a dedicated sales team that can kind of help onboard you, but what you really have to understand before you do this is like, hey, what product do I want to do? Like, even if you don't have the base formula of how cannabis is infused, like you got to really have that direction. And what would be more on your side than our side is the branding, the logo, the, the, like the ability to sell through because what we'll be doing is we'll manufacture it we'll get it all the way into the provincial board but it's going to be your job to get it sold from the provincial board into the stores and continue to grow those relationships so you got to make sure you have something that you know you've market tested this you've validated that you know people are actually interested in this funky topical or this chocolate or whatever you're looking at doing like we can direct you in those but We've had people come to us and be like, hey, I, I want to get in cannabis. I don't know where to go. And I was like, well, you know, I'll charge you for that. And I can tell you, you know, step by step some ideas. But like, if you, if you come to us with a plan, it's very straightforward. We can basically give you a catalog of like, hey, you want to put it in this jar, or this jar, you want this label or this label. And then that's the uh, kind of the turnkey. So the foundation is have your, like, minimal viable product and understand the market you're going after because it's it's going to be, it's gonna be competitive. Like there's, you're gonna see a lot of people come to the market. There's like, I think I was talking to AGLC a couple of weeks ago, they have like 800 potential bait pen SKUs. <laughs> like, like everybody's making a bait pen. Yeah. Um, topicals right now, I think they have 10 SKUs. They're trying to go up to 30. Um, yeah, it's, it's gonna get competitive and you're gonna to have to really know where you're gonna target or you're just gonna like pay the working capital to, to get it off the ground, but then you're not gonna much farther.
0: Yeah, so I mean, for me, Whenever I think about it and someone, if anyone was going to ask me for advice, I always say aggregate your demand because it's it's always a uh, chicken before the or chicken and egg situation or cart before the horse. Yeah. If you don't have demand for something and you're wondering why you're not able to sell it, well, that's why. And if you're going to be coming to you to invest that kind of money to uh, take this shot, I mean, my recommendation would be aggregate your demand. And generally that's having an audience or having someone that's paying attention to you yeah. so that they would be willing to buy off of you and that way you would be more interested in working with them because it's just it's more certain and it'll have a better longer term relationship and then for them it's also just more likely that they'll be successful i think
1: yeah because i think the other big thing people forget when they're just starting off is like your customer in canada right now for the most part is the provincial boards like you have to convince AGLC, bc liquor and cannabis ontario board that they should take your product So their minimum orders are, they're significant. They're, they're not asking, you're not doing a run of like 500 bottles and seeing if your mom and pop dispensary on the corner is going to buy it. You have to make enough to satisfy the whole Alberta market, get it listed and put it off. Because if they don't sell it within six months, they also make you buy it back. So yeah, you gotta gotta definitely uh, be prepared on that. That's actually
0: a really, I didn't know that. So you need to sell to the government entities first a certain volume, and then if they don't sell it all in six months, you end up having to buy it back. Is it
1: bought back at the price that they paid? Yeah, you essentially have to refund it. So that's depending on product, but uh, yeah, that's kind of a rule because what was happening originally was cannabis like, was being grown. There was a little too much on like supply, or there actually was way too much supply of certain products. It mm-hmm. wasn't moving. And then in the dispensaries, no one's going to buy Something was packaged four months ago for a you know, fresh flower. So AGLC was like, you know, we're changing the rules. So you have to, you have to take this back if this doesn't move. So, you know, six months kind of the rule of thumb on a lot of things. But yeah, you've got to, you got to be careful on their contracts.
0: So it's not just as simple as going, starting up a Shopify store and uh, advertising it on Instagram. <laughs> so that's, that's a lot a more little, complicated little, than that. A little different. You got
1: one customer; <laughs> and it's the government. <laughs> so, do you think in the next five years that'll change? Yeah, I think like in Saskatchewan, it's already that now you work directly with the dispensaries um, okay. and regulatory frame. Like, I don't think Alberta made a lot of money on cannabis, like the actual like the, their online website. Like I hear they're going to start allowing online stores and things like that for the dispensaries that are already licensed to sell online. But yeah, mm-hmm. you're, it's going to change. It's going to become more of it's cannabis is going to be liquor in five, 10 years and just that's what it should do. Know. So yeah. It, it will be, it's just a matter of like, you know, there's going to be a cannabis store next to every liquor store and it's going to be at your neighborhood shop and, you know, your fine wine spot and here's your cheap beer spot. And that's what, uh, that's what it's going to look like.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, again, if, uh, if anybody wants to reach out to Keenan or token, um, he kind of mentioned it a little earlier, but obviously TokenNaturals.com, and, uh, you guys have an Instagram and then Keenan at token is your email. Thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it, buddy. Down, buddy. All right. We'll have to do it again if there's like a 3.0 or
1: something like that. <laughs> I
0: don't least. want to see another bear market like that, though. Yeah,
1: We'll see. We'll, it'll just go up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. All right. I'll chat with you soon. Okay. <sighs> Good day. hey thanks so much for listening if you want additional context or are interested in any of the people or links we mentioned head over to our website it's reformedmillennials.com it's going to have all of the links there for you as well as the show notes and all the past episodes while you're on the site make sure you subscribe to our weekly newsletter it's got a summary of all the most popular stories and trends from the previous week by the way this should be common sense but this podcast and our website are for informational purposes should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Joel does work for Gold Investment Management and all opinions expressed by him, myself, or any podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the of GIM. Clients of Gold Investment Management may actually hold positions discussed in this podcast. Have a good day everyone.